HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. Welcome to Spill and Dish, a new podcast from the Specialty Food Association. Founded in 1952, SFA is the leading trade association and source of information about the $170 billion specialty food industry. We champion the food producers, retailers, and other buyers who make up the specialty food world. Each episode, we want to share the stories behind the products made and sold by our members who are helping shape the future of food. You can listen and discover the inspiration, recipe, craft, culture, ingredients, and production methods that help answer the question, what makes specialty food special? I'm today's host, Julie Gallagher, Director of Content at SFA. We're excited to bring you today's episode and so happy to be working with Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit podcast network covering the world of food, drink, and agriculture, and expanding the way eaters think about food. Today's guest is Chani Lauks chef and founder of Angkor Cambodian Food. Hi, Chani. I'm really so excited about having you here today with us and sharing your incredibly inspirational story. Um, Can you start off by telling me where you're from originally? I was born in Cambodia and came here to United States uh, after surviving the genocide in 1979. Okay, wow. Was there a time when you were still in Cambodia when you were separated from your family? Um, Yeah, during the communist Cambodia, Khmer Rouge, during that four years period, I was separated from my family for that four years and was basically living in different labor camps. And um, it was really tough. Yeah. Yeah. And then you came to Nebraska. Were you reunited with your mother? No, my... My mother came with me to Nebraska um, as a refugee, and, uh, you know, my my brother, I have two brothers escaped before us, and they were there, and so automatically we go to Nebraska. Okay, what yeah. was it like there in Nebraska? Well, it was, uh, it, it was very different, and, uh, but, you know, came came from surviving the genocide and starvation, anything was like a heaven to us, you know, mm-hmm. we don't have any food that we're familiar with except 
cucumbers and put the tomato and potato. Uh, no spice, no flavor of Asian food. So, but you know, we, at least we have food. And mm-hmm. to us, it was like uh, a wonderful thing, you know. So we don't have to worry about what you know what uh, tomorrow's going to be. We're going to make it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, did you cook with your mother? I cook with my mom a lot, especially after I had my own children. Mm-hmm. So we we used to make many hot sauces and um, share it to the family, you know, and friends, and make a big batch and any you know give it out. And every time somebody wants some, uh, run out of hot sauce, we make another big batch and give it to everybody again. And they say, "Oh, I don't have, I still have it. No, this one's fresh." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I cook a lot with her, and. Um, you know, it's it's just not it's not just cooking. When you cook with somebody, you talk about things that bother you. You talk about things that you're happy about, and then things things that she used to do with her mom and how it was in Cambodia. So, a lot of sharing and a lot a lot of um, rich information that you would never get otherwise in different situation. Mm-hmm. And so I. I really missed that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you were cooking together, would, did you do cooking in Nebraska? I know that you moved to California eventually, but was it hard finding ingredients? I know you said it was, you know, you couldn't find the spices and things. Yeah. How did you make do with what you had on hand? Right. Well, we, we, we adapt. So for example, you know, we used to have all different, uh, produce that we normally do, but we adapt like we replace green papaya with carrots <laughs> and then make our own food. And, uh, we would replace, uh, um, hot basil. You can't find hot basil in Nebraska. You replace it with oregano. Okay. So even now that, you know, in the summer in California, I can have hot basil, but I remember those times, you know, and, uh, those times spending with mom and how you adapt to a different culture, different environment. Um, it was a special time, even though we do a replacement, mm. uh, substitute, and it was wonderful. And, you know, because of that experience now, when I make recipe, I always be mindful about people who can't get to those fresh produce. So I always oh. provide my, um, uh, you know, people, my followers to how could you replace it and thing, you know, so. Well, that's great. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's wonderful. And then what year did you move to California? I moved to California in 87. Yeah, okay. in 87. Yeah, right after I graduated from college, we couldn't find any job in Nebraska at that time that would do like uh, engineering high tech. So automatically I went to Silicon Valley and got my first job there. <laughs> okay. And what did you do as your first job? My first job, I started off uh, as a software and I helped, um, a company build a head-up display in the jet fighters. So, uh, be you know like a firmware, very small uh, software engineer learning from everybody, and then eventually my last position as an engineer, I was a senior staff at a biotech industry, helping uh, to design a flow cytometer, which is an instrument that uh, take blood sample and help oncologists treat and diagnose cancer patients. Wow. So that's so different, obviously, from the world of specialty food. Yeah. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about um, how, why you decided to make a shift in careers? 
Well, um, you know, again, you know, came here without knowing any word of English and start everything from scratch. We didn't have anything at all, but I love what the opportunity that I got from, you know, the support of the government and the people in this country. So I try my best. And with all this hard work, um, I, uh, I have dream about, you know, do a certain thing to give back to the community. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to publish a book that would talk about a new way how to design things, you know, system of system, how you aggregate big system together. I participated in like a non-profit um, organization being the president of uh, International System of Council Engineering in Silicon Valley. I was l- lined up to help and give back, you know, do the best I can. But then my mom passed away, and uh, all that ambition, the dream I wanted to give back, would just like become so irrelevant compared to. I think about what does my mom, what does people know about my mom, and they don't. And she was, she was an amazing person. Um, she had gone through many obstacles, terrible obstacles. But she never used those as an excuse to not do her best or, or to, you know, a, a reason why she didn't get something done. You know, like, um, the kind of thing that she went through was when she was 14, she lost both parents. And then right away, she got separated from her sibling and, uh, go to, uh, foster homes. And from home to home, she would clean for them and cook for them. And she didn't go to school at all, just spent her day cleaning and cooking. And then eventually uh, she met my father and um, she worked hard and had her own business and was able to, you know, own several homes. And since I know right from wrong, I never experienced her, her difficulty. I only heard about it. But then the Khmer Rouge, you know, the communist Cambodian, took over the country, and they took everything that she worked hard for. And then during those times, you know, she had survived the genocide, but she lost her husband to it, and she lost she lost um, my younger brother, who was 12 years old at the time, and completely lost everything that she worked for, and came to this country um, as a single mom, don't speak any English, don't even know what the weather's going to be like, never, never even heard about it. So much fear, you know, within each one of us. How are we going to survive? We didn't know the government would help us out a little bit. And then, you know, she started over, became a janitor. Wow. And raised four of us to go to college. And she had this amazing story that needs to be told. And um, no, but nobody know much about it. So um, here I am, you know, sharing her story through her recipe. Yes, she was a wonderful cook. Yeah, mm-hmm. and love, you know, love uh, sharing food to people. And she'd been because she was uh, an orphan when she was young. Every time she met somebody who uh, experienced the same situation, which many people do from Cambodia, and both parents passed away. She took them in, and she cooked for them. And I want to um, carry her her legacy of loving and sharing food. And so 
you know, one thing lead to another. We had hot sauce to start with, and now we have like um, 40 items available for people to try. That's amazing. What an amazing story. And, you know, what a beautiful way that you're honoring your mother yeah. and her memory. Um, so how did you initially get started? How did you go from just starting out to now, you know, you said you had 40 products. Did you start off in a farmer's market or? I, um, I, well, Cambodian food is always fresh. So how do you get something, you know, you go to the market and you see people, you know, load the product into uh, jars and make it last shelf stable. And you can't find Cambodian food in that form ever before, before a product, before a company. And, um, I learned how to can for my family from Nebraska and my mother-in-law was showing me how to do that. So with oh. a, with a, you know, two lady, my mom and my mother-in-law and my experience in FDA, I felt like that's, I can do this, you know? Yeah. So I started off, uh, learn about it and, uh, share, first of all, share it to my friends and family. That's what my mom used to do. I, I didn't intend to have a business. It mm-hmm. just carry her legacy. You know, that's what she did. Oh, I you know? see. Okay. And I gave it, I carry on and um, uh, give it to my colleague and they want to buy. And I say, no, you know, that's not how it works. And she said, but that's not how it works. If I can't buy it from you, I can't give it to people as a gift. So, right. you know, one thing lead to another. And, um, and that's how I, I started. I, I was, uh, you know, as a senior staff system engineer. I have people that work for me. I produce, you know, design product and ship it out for, you know, Fortune 500 company. And here I am. I wanted to carry my mom legacy. And I would cook and stand in the farmer's market to give people a sample. Right. What and a I, transition. Yeah. And, and sometimes you feel like a little bit like, what are you doing? Because your colleague walked by and you're, you know, you're you know, and, and I was happy to see them. They were happy to see me, but you really have to have that conviction. Right. To be out there. And, and when I'm out there doing, uh, tasting, I learn a lot from people. Mm-hmm. I learned that people are not familiar with Cambodian food and I learned that people love Cambodian food. So it's inspired me to say, what would be, uh, the one, the next, uh, product that I would make that, make it so unique to Cambodian cooking. Something that, you know, if you go to a Cambodian kitchen, you smell that uniqueness, what would that be? Mm-hmm. And what do we use a lot? And that's that's how I come up with the lemongrass paste, which we received Sophie Award for it. So, yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, so are you in food service at all or are your products um, in retail locations? We start off with uh, retail and then we uh, we have food service size. And um, and during the pandemic, all the order for the food service side was canceled. And uh, you know, haven't been have have had been to starvation and all the time that I was uh, surviving the communist Cambodia. It was hard for me to see my product waiting and might go to waste. And uh, uh, the confidence that I had when people try it, they like it. So how can I adapt to this new way of people still eating food? People still want to try different things. How can I um, not waste my product, food service size product? So 
I decided to um, double down and uh, my investment and open up a takeout and delivery restaurant. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. During the pandemic? You During the it? pandemic. Last year I did it and um, it was it was as I expected. People are not familiar, but once, once they try, they come back. And we had able to uh, use a product, you know, food suicide product, and it gave us confidence. Next time we talk to a potential uh, client, we can tell them, if you use this product, if you use the lemongrass paste or tramon uh, sauce, these are the dish that sells good because we have those data. Right. They have those data that people like this dish and some of the things they may not like. But uh, what's, you know, like, for example, our Sophie Award winner, it surprised me how people like those uh, sauce in different dish. You know, I didn't think they would. And they like our top sales, our top dish, hot dish for uh, lemongrass paste is pineapple curry chicken sausage. Wow. And stir fried lemongrass. And, uh, uh, yeah, so... Now I, I felt confident about it, but, uh, you know, we, we learned that, um, uh, from that data, from that, you know, cooking in the kitchen all the time and I have team helping me out. I keep cranking up the same sauce over and over and, uh, I start to form another product out of this experience. You know, I know yeah. exactly what's the next product to bring to specialty food association. And uh, it's all because I was uh, cooking at that uh, takeout, you know, and delivery restaurant. Are you still doing that now? I am. I, I'm doing that. Right, my team is uh, helping me out right now. Is the restaurant is open uh, uh, seven, uh, six days, seven days a week? Wow, yeah. that's wonderful. And I think uh, it was like to me. You can see that the restaurant was more like. Um, Another way of educating people, what's Cambodian food looks like, tastes like, smell like, and, and because most people are not, not familiar, and when they try, they love it. And I, you know, after I went to Sophie Award, I realized that that's what we have to do, because it wasn't like, oh, you want Sophie Award, now people are going to want to come and try your stuff. It's like, right. it, I need to um, educate people. Mm -hmm. You know, I need to... Uh, how do how do I get more people to try? Because I know when they try, they like it. So I did. I instead of spending time building a new product, I spend the next two years educating, mm -hmm. creating a, a website for recipe, doing cook, you know, uh, cooking online, um, cooking for people for private party, uh, different events, fundraising, and as a guest chef to, you know, restaurants and uh, some other chef, uh, anytime anybody who said, do you have time? I was like, yeah, fly me in, you know? <laughs> and uh, it was, um, I, I think it's been paying for. And um, the takeout restaurant and delivery restaurant, to me, it's another form of education because you can sell paste and then you have to tell people how to use it and people forget about it. And they haven't even tried Cambodian food to even say, oh, I'm going to use this paste to do this dish. Right. So, so it's just a form of uh, marketing and communication and education. Wow. There yeah. were so many pivots that happened during the pandemic that food makers are now holding on to because they worked out really well for them. Yeah, yeah. 
So how many years have you had your food business now? Has it been 10 years? It's been 12 years. Okay. Yeah, the first the first um, five years, it was, like I said, I was still doing um, engineering. And on the weekend, I would be getting my sauce and paste, you know, on and wheel it to San Francisco and have people try it. Uh, on, and then during the day, you know, during the normal day, I was just uh, doing my day job. Day job. And finally, I decided to go full-time in 2015. Was it scary to take that leap? It was scary, um, but I've been blessed with two children who I felt like they are independent, so they don't need my help anymore. So I'm going full force just for me and, you know, the legacy of mom. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. Looking back on the food business, is there anything you would do differently? I think that the hardest thing for me is um, I probably would have be more focused, start earlier. I think we would have got a lot further. Um, but at the same time, it's not, you know, if we have to do it slow, we have a lot of people helping us out. Um support and you know sharing what we make so I think it would have been like start earlier Mm -hmm. yeah start earlier probably when mom's still around oh yeah (laughs) and then what would you say your inspiration is for new flavors I think the new flavor it has to do with with natural fresh but also something that um, helped the immune system Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, even like uh, I'm uh, right now, I'm coming. I'm working on a purple curry because any purple vegetable boosts your immune system, and it, it, it's been fun to try different things and uh, also unique and also not so different because people are familiar with what curry is supposed to taste like. Right? right. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so fun. Um, what do you want people to know about your brand that they might not know? Well, um, I think if people, you know, you're right, you know, uh, that's one of our challenges is to get people familiar with our product. Cambodian food is like, uh, it's, it's like another Southeast Asian flavor, a new Southeast Asian flavor, because we are right between, um, next door to Thai and Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So a lot of our ingredients are the same. It's just how much how you prepare your dish using those ingredients. And some dish are in Cambodian similar to Thai, some dish similar to Vietnamese, but like um you know, this different culture have their own uniqueness of right. the dishes. And one of our uniqueness of our dish is uh the fish to play. Okay. Which is um uh lemongrass, coconut cream and fish and egg and you steam it up and it's really good oh that sounds delicious yeah. so it, yeah so it's like a if you're looking for a new flavor in southeast asian uh, cuisine mm-hmm. we it, we the answer to it <laughs> <laughs> and what would you say is next for your business next for my business is to introduce uh more of what we sell best in our takeout restaurant right now and make it available, make it 
easier for people to to try, and that is um, uh, uh, Cambodian curry. Okay. And uh, Cambodian, we have two different kind of flavor, uh, red curry and green curry. I was surprised that it was went it was going really good because people had curry all different kind, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, each culture again had different way of serving their dishes. And Cambodian curry is a little bit. Uh, not so strong in the curry f- flavor and aroma, but more balanced with the coconut and uh, fresh vegetable. And uh, it's different and people like it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. We're almost out of time, but before you go, we'd like for you to participate in our final segment. It's called Take Five, where we pose five questions to our guests. Mm-hmm. But first, let's pause for a break. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 35 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail served on the beautiful patio, which has ample room for social distancing. Travelers from around the world find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Okay, here are your five questions for our final segment, Take Five. What's your favorite thing about the specialty food industry? I love so much about it because, uh, because of what I'm doing as a producer, as a food manufacturer, Every, you know, you get the opportunity to be in front of so many people um, who would never know my product in the first place. Mm-hmm. And as a producer, I'm also looking for ingredients that other member, other exhibitor available for me to, to try and talk to. And as an um, operator of a restaurant, I love to try different things. So I'm here as an exhibitor mainly, but I'm also a... Um, a buyer for my company. So it's wonderful. That's great. Is there anything that you don't like about the industry? Uh, no, I think it's great. I wish I had more time to participate and help making the industry stronger. Um, you know, I asked my husband to participate and volunteer, get involved in different things. And the more you get involved, the more you really appreciate. And it's, it's part of our business now. You know, we we never skip a show since we started. (laughs) (laughs) And if you weren't running a business, what would you be doing? Uh, Engineering. (laughs) (laughs) And and is there a piece of advice that you'd give to a new food business? Um, Really believe in what you have to offer and uh, uh, surround yourself with supporter. Sometimes your family is not the best supporter you have (laughs) because, you know, for example, in my case, they said, what are you doing? You, you know, you're the system lead, you're designing all different things. People want to do what you're doing and now you want to do what? Hot sauce? But, you know, it's, you follow your dream. You follow what, what you're really happy doing and uh, why you're happy doing it. Give it a try. Give it your best and you're going to run into a uh, question that, am I doing the right thing? You know, don't give it up. Just keep at it. 
great advice. And how do you define specialty food? A specialty food is something that you can't really find in. Uh, Sometimes you you know you can't really find in in Costco all those big wholesale is special. It we make from small batch. We make with a lot of care, not just not just the uh, the product and making money, but the passion of sharing what you grow up with, what you crave for, what you want to show the world that you're special. What you have to offer is special. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining yeah, us my today. My pleasure. My pleasure. I can't wait to you. stop by the booth and try some Cambodian food. Thank you. Thank you, Julie. <laughs> And you can find out more about this show at specialtyfood.com and heritageradionetwork.org. And remember to follow wherever you get your podcasts. Come back often to get to know the people who are shaping the future of food. Special thanks to Chani Laux and to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. This is Spill and Dish, a Specialty Food Association podcast. <laughs>